sadness, depression, maybe a little bit of anger. That was my instant reaction from this week's weekend's football slate, and I bet a lot of you had the same same feelings. So, as always, welcome back to the show about sports. I'm sorry I seem a little less chipper than usual, not as fun of an intro, but sometimes we have to face the harsh realities of our football teams. So today, I'm going to give you my instant reactions to everything that's been happening in the NFL world this weekend, and hopefully put a good positive spin on things, because that's what I try to do at the end of the day. But again, once you see a loss on the scoreboard, it's kind of hard. So thank you again for everyone that's followed this podcast. I really appreciate it. Everyone on threads, what's up? A lot of new threads. I mean, it's like sports Twitter has evolved on threads. And I shout out to all of you. This might be your first episode you're listening to. And everyone else that's not on threads, get on threads. Follow me, Griffin underscore proc for all things NFL. NBA is coming up. College football is in full swing. I'm even going to talk about college basketball as that's the sport I mainly played when I was growing up. So that's what I know the most about. And when I say basketball, I mean basketball, not college basketball, not NBA. No, I'm your average dude. Not I'm your average 20 some giving you unsolicited feedback on sports. When I know all of these dudes could put me in the hospital with one hit. So <laughs> let's jump into things here not waste any more time with me trying to be funny. And let's jump into some of the games. All right. There was plenty of football this weekend and a lot of it wasn't Top-tier football, I'd say. Currently, right now, the Sunday night game is on, and I'm not enjoying it. We're talking about the Bills facing the Giants where they're supposed to take over and dominate, but that is not what we're seeing after the first quarter of play here. We'll have to see how it goes through the second quarter, but that's not the games we're talking about here today. We're giving our instant reaction first to the Seahawks versus the Bengals. Now, for those that missed it, it ended with a Bengals win, 17-13, to in unceremonious fashion, slow game, couple points every quarter it was just it just felt like neither team could hang with each other let alone a true competitor and that's kind of my overall takeaway these two teams have been you know eyeing to be at the top of their own division but in the conference they're just feeling like wildcard teams now if we look at it we saw a great start it both teams had great first possessions but I don't especially Joe Burrow he had a couple more across the board, him connecting with Chase again, which is great to see if you're a Bengals fan. But when you only see 17 and only three points in the second half total, I mean, then I'm not saying anything better for the Seahawks there. I'm just saying you would expect more. Now, my premise of my biggest takeaway on top of that, that kind of evolves from that, is the QBs on both sides of the ball seem a little off. Now, let me explain. Joe Burrow, like we know, has been dealing with injuries every single year and this year nothing's different he's suffered a similar injury than what he's been having specifically with with his legs that's been the big issue unfortunately this time it's his calf and yes we've noticed his discomfort and we've kind of felt like hmm what's going on with him well it also I think plays into the factor that this was his contract year everyone else is getting paid at the quarterback position and he's up next and I don't I just don't feel like he's the guy that's gonna like sit out and try to get a contract extension, which he didn't. But this injury, I feel like he almost feels like he doesn't deserve the money because of him getting hurt and not like in maybe in his mind, like I haven't proven anything yet, even though he has proven everything to his worst so far. So I feel like his mental game is really struggling, and that's why when he's cooking, he's doing well. But right when we start to see a little bit of, you know roadblocks I don't I don't feel like he really responds well specifically this season with one of his best teams on offense and defense 
And then that kind of goes into Gino. I mean, last year it was all, I didn't write back. And we love that. As a Seahawks fan, we love that. But this year, he's not the same cool, calm, and collected Gino. He, like, last year he had zero expectations. This year he now has expectations. And more expectations that I think he's putting on himself, which is why I'm seeing him kind of, like, not react well to a play or get sacked and act like he's, like, pissed you know and I, rightfully so I'd be pissed too if I was getting hit by a 300 pound defensive lineman but that's part of the sport and I just feel like he's not taking it as well and yes the offensive line is banged up not only on our side but also the Bengals but you know what I mean you kind of sit back and if any of those people that watch that game you probably felt the same way and it's just kind of hard to see so let's kind of like dive into the game as a whole and try to take some takeaways from it first of all the biggest takeaway is the Bengals defense I mean Their offense was productive enough in the first half, but their defense was productive all game. I mean, holding one of the best offenses in the NFC, let alone the entire NFL, with Geno Smith and all the weapons that we have to only 13 points, I mean, that might have been a stretch to say one of the best offenses, but you know what I mean. We can put up points. We put up points on the Lions. We put up points on the Panthers. I know bad, good team, et cetera, whatever, but you get what I mean. Their defensive line was great, which then took away anything downfield because we were the, the, you guys were just getting to uh Gino before he could see anything but the overall was just like it was just poor scheming I felt on the offense so I don't want to give too much shout out to the defense on this one because I just I didn't understand the play calling our running was working but then Gino just couldn't really see the field or anything like that so for the Bengals I think you take what you can out of that because you're only three and three the defense hasn't been amazing but this game they really stepped up and we kind of like look into the stats here the biggest name is Logan Wilson and Dax Hill Logan Wilson had 11 total tackles nine solos two tackles for losses and then Dax Hill had a lot of tackles but what he was doing was more in the backfield is what I mean in the secondary as well so I would just be happy about what your team is able to show right now and being able to bounce back from such a horrendous start as a Bengals fan because this was a win against a supposed playoff team in the Seahawks. Now we kind of look into the Seahawks team and we kind of have to ask the question like why wasn't the scheme working? Well, our scheme's really interesting with the Seahawks as we have to, with all these injuries, play three tight end sets, which means we have Parkinson, we have Noah Fant, and we have Disley out there often, not catching balls, just blocking and those short little dig routes but that's still not working because we don't wait it's just at the end of the day if your o-line is not healthy tight ends aren't supposed to be you know locked down blockers so it leads to nobody getting open downfield we had Lockett getting open a couple times you know six catches for 94 yards but that's just not enough when dk only has four jackson smith's only getting four he doesn't even play the whole time jake bobo made two great catches but that's what we expect um only two you know it's not high production but then when we look at Kenneth Walker I mean 19 carries for 62 yards 21 of them was on one run that was his longest of the day we were moving the ball but both of the quarterbacks at the end of the day had QBRs of less than 45 Gino out of 42 and Joe Burrow out of 36 so you see what I mean they were throwing it 41 times on the CX tie and we're only completing 27 of those. That's like a pretty good number, but it just wasn't downfield enough, and we would turn it over late. Two interceptions by Gino, which is very not like him, and so it's really worrisome that that's why I go back to his mental like health, for lack of a better word. I don't know what's going on with him, but 
that's where we that's where I'm like coming from as an instant reaction. So let's look at kind of the team stats to see if that can give us even more of a breakdown. So third down efficiency is like a super important statistic to look up because it tells you if you're completing drives. You know, you yeah, you can get to third down, but can you complete it? Five for twelve for Seattle, three for eleven for the Bengals. I mean, you would look at that and be like, why didn't the Seahawks win based off of that stat? Well, you know, stats are a little more <laughs> nuanced and robust than just one stat but then we kind of look at a big thing which was total yards the Seahawks had 381 total yards and 70 total plays the Bengals only had 53 total plays for 214 yards why that is the case is because of the turnovers we would turn it over in our own side of the field and so they would just pick it up and keep running and get on their side of the field. So they didn't need as many yards. So as a person that's just looking at the stats, that can help clear up some sort of confusion you have about like, was that an issue? We had the ball for more, almost 10 minutes more than they did in that whole game, but we just turned the ball over at the end of the day. Now, when I look at these two teams, we kind of have to check ourselves now. The score of 17 to 13 against each other is worrisome for the productive offenses, but is exciting for the defenses. But we know in the NFL you have to have a potent offense to compete and be a contender. These teams would like to say they're contenders, but I can't sit here and say either of these teams are contenders based on what we're seeing so far. Now, the look forward is to bounce back next week. The Seahawks were coming off a bye this week, but that didn't prove anything. And Cincinnati's coming off of, you know, better connections on offense and figuring it out. So overall, for both fan bases, I would just have tempered but optimistic, you know, viewpoints on your team. Seahawks are now three and two, Cincinnati's three and three. That's my overall takeaway from that game. Let me know if you have any different opinions on that. But I'm gonna take a short break and then jump into the next game. Okay, game two. We need to react to the Browns taking down the 49ers in wonderful fashion on a missed field goal to end the game that the 49ers could have stole that win. And I think our narrative about Brock Purdy would have been different. Final score of 19 to 17 for the Cleveland Browns, moving them to three and two. And the 49ers are no longer undefeated at five and one and have some injury concerns. A lot of guys were banged up going into the game and then they lost a couple guys during the games. And when I say that, I mean McCaffrey who had a firing start to the game and then they lost Debo Samuel as well, who is a such a vital part of their team that I think he gets forgotten until he has the ball in his hands. And then everyone's like, oh wait, yeah, that's like the top 10 wide receiver right there slash hybrid can take it out of the backfield and run. So my overall takeaways are we everything about Brock Purdy has been well-deserved. He has won the games, but wins are not QB stats. They're team stats. At the end of the day, a QB can lose you a game, but they don't always win you a game. And he is the definition of a game manager. We've seen a lot of game managers in our lifetime. Even the greats have been game managers at different points. But when you look at, I know this is a crazy comparison, but Patrick Mahomes versus Brock Purdy, Patrick Mahomes can make or break games. He can get you out of bad situations and win you a possession, win you a drive, etc. Brock Purdy we're not as convinced about, and that's okay because there are great quarterbacks like the Tom Brady's of the world that just make good throws on time through the scheme that's put forth by the coaching staff, and you win games. Tom Brady wasn't out there running around figuring things out. He was in the pocket. Every time he had to go out of the pocket, you were like, 
he's going to die. He's just not as athletic, and that's okay. So we know this formula is for success, but I think it's almost unfair that we're defining Brock Purdy in this way that he has to be like Patrick Mahomes because that's what we define the Tom Brady right now. I think the pocket-passing quarterback still exists and still should exist. I mean, we look at Justin Herbert. We look at, well, I would I would say Josh Allen, but he likes to run a little too much. But you see it across the board from the Derek Carrs to the Geno Smiths like we just talked about and the Joe Burrows. So what really hindered this game, it was kind of a perfect storm for a loss. And what's funny is I was looking ahead on the 49ers schedule and I saw that they were playing the Falcons next week. And I'm a little bit higher on the Falcons than some. I think they're going to win their own terrible division. But... I circled this Cleveland Browns game because this is a a defensive battle. Yes, they were facing the 49ers, who are also a defensive team, but when I saw Christian McCaffrey go down after putting up the points and just doing razzle-dazzle, I mean, if you're Brock Purdy and you can just dump it down to uh, Christian McCaffrey and he gets you an extra 15, there's no other guys like that in the NFL. Like, that's how Purdy's been succeeding. And that's like with Kittle and that's with Debo. And so when he lost both of those guys, he only had Ayuk. He still had Kittle. Trent Williams was a little banged up to start the game, but he seemed to be fine. So he had enough protection to find things. But we kind of saw him have to make bigger throws. And he only won 12 for 27, 125 yards through the air. That's just not going to win you a game. P.J. Walker had more yards, 192, 18 for 34. But he only had a QBR of 24. So this is the what the media, and I threaded this earlier today, if that's what we're calling it. I threaded that I thought the media was waiting for this day that Brock Purdy lost his first regular season game, especially in a fashion like this. But I think it's unfair. I think it's fun to do the memes, you know, whatever, do your thing. But at the end of the day, he didn't lose them that game. He almost won them that game. On that last drive, we have to go back to his great throws down the field. No no McCaffrey, no dump-offs. He's making competent throws down the field. They got him into field goal range, very makeable field goal range, and the rookie kicker missed it. Where have we heard that story before? That happens all the time. I don't put this loss on Brock Purdy, and I also don't have a different perspective on Brock Purdy. I have my same normal top 15 quarterback potential in the NFL, can't win you games with his athleticism but can't but won't lose you games with his lack of ability because he doesn't he has the ability to be in the NFL he's proven that now they just can't rely on defenses winning them games across the board because Cleveland is a good defensive team so when they face that their defense can only hold up holding the Browns only 19 points is really good but you would expect a little bit more knowing that P.J. Walker was taking snaps instead of Deshaun Watson or somebody else like Joshua Dobbs who were, were now like, oh, that's a great backup. So overall is a perfect storm for a loss. They're coming off good wins. You get a little too high on your horses. You know, we saw with uh, the Dolphins. We're almost liking the Dolphins more now that we know that they've lost. So they get that out of the way. I don't like teams that win too long. And I don't even like the 49ers at all because I'm a Seahawks fan. But if I was a 49ers fan, I'd be like, we need to lose one of these times so that our team remembers we're not invincible. Specifically, our second-year quarterback that is still trying to figure out the NFL. So let's kind of go into each of the, you know, parts of the game, like uh, team by team. So the Browns, PJ Walker wasn't sensational by any means and almost lost in the game at the very end and on other multiple occasions, but they stuck 
to what they are this year, and they win Messi. Even with Deshaun Watson, they just win Messi. Their defense is a top five unit. I think that's not an arguable uh, statement. So I don't. I better not see anybody come at me with that because they held one of the most potent offenses so far. Yes, hindered with a little bit of injuries, only tonight seventeen points. So the um, giving Purdy and the 49ers a great run, like not giving them a great run game, what just made it so that it was hard to start anything else. They didn't really have anybody else behind McCaffrey that could really take over. Elijah Mitchell, Jordan Mason, Ray Ray McLeod, none of them really did anything. And that's okay because when you have Christian McCaffrey, I mean, you don't really need to rely on anybody else. So essentially, I look at this Browns game and I think this is fun. This is just your classic middle of the season win that you just nobody expected. So the best case for the Browns is to keep battling like this across the board. And I have wild card spot. If I was a Browns fan, I would think wild card is the best outcome with all the money that you have out there. Your team's getting a little bit, you know, pricey specifically the QB and some of your star defensemen like Miles Garrett and whatnot, people are going to want some more money coming up here. So I in a wild card spot, I think is the best thing that the Browns can be doing right now. And this is a good, good start for that. Now, when we talk about the 49ers, I continue to say the phrase, it was a perfect storm for a loss. I'm not down though. If I'm a 49ers fan based on this loss, a lot of things didn't go your way. It was a crappy day of weather your best player slash an MVP front runner got hurt. Your best wide receiver got hurt. And you had a quarterback that now had to show his worth and like win you a game in a way he has not had to do yet. And we saw that it ended up being his worst game because of it. Against the good defense, though. It wasn't against the Giants. It wasn't against the Texans or the Panthers. That was almost disrespectful to the Panthers. I mean, the Texans. But you know what I mean. So... They're a very identity-based team. Kyle Shanahan has really drilled that into their head, so they're going to have to be able to work around that. And I think Purdy showed that in the fourth quarter by being able to go down and be competent on that final drive. That's my biggest takeaway. So if McCaffrey has to miss a little bit of time or they want to slowly integrate him back in, Debo, I know he's getting an MRI done. I think it said something about it being clean, but either way, both of those guys are going to be on kind of questionable watch going into next week, especially against the Falcons, where I already thought they were going to have a hard time. And so it's time to really get right. And I think this loss is good for them. So that is my breakdown of that game. I've threaded my other opinions as well. Shout out to everybody on threads, follow me there. And I'm I'm going to be right back. One more game that I'm going to review, but I'm not going to reveal it yet. So keep listening. Okay. There's a lot of great games this weekend across the board but there's one more game that I want to get to now is there any uh, Zach Wilson for MVP chances starting now that's my hint for which game I'm talking about now the Jets beat the other only undefeated team heading into this week the Philadelphia Eagles in one of the weirdest games all three of these games were so weird yet like really reminded us that these are all NFL teams and yes there's there's odds where one team is favored and they should win, but the complete opposite could happen. And this is one of those, uh, one of those games. So 20 to 14 New York jets win at home in front of their crowd, giving them something to cheer about Zach Wilson, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions, but they won. You don't really see that from a quarterback, uh, stat line and expect there to be a win next to that. Jalen hurts a touchdown and three interceptions tying his career high, in single game interceptions 
Now, <laughs> the funniest quote, and this is kind of like the overall takeaway from the game on the Eagles side, they couldn't get over their mistakes. And when I say they, yes, you know, DeAndre Swift fumbled as well. Their defense was great, so I'm not really even talking about them, but their offense specifically, Jalen Hurts, really couldn't get out of his way when it comes to mistakes. Now, Mark Sanchez said on the call uh, when he was announcing the game, he was said something along the lines of, it's like that goldfish that you have when you were in fourth grade. Like, you just flushed it. Don't be sad. Time to move on or something like that. Don't worry about it. The fact, I can't even say it right. It caught me so off guard. But that's how that's how you know Romo and Sanchez and Greg Olson. They all all these ex football players just come with the best random analogies. But that's essentially what happened. Jalen Hurts was stuck in his head, and I think that's kind of the overall takeaway from this week: is the quarterbacks were just stuck in their head and forgot that they have all the momentum and they can really dictate it. There was people open, but I will give credit to the Jets' defense; they were all over them. They took away the run game. We've seen DeAndre Swift come into these games running for 100 yards, 30 carries a game. And that's what I've been saying. The Eagles can beat you through the air and through the ground, and they like to do it in a hybrid fashion. But when you force them to just throw, I think we found the formula to beating them. So DeAndre Swift only had 10 carries for 18 yards. Jalen Hurts had eight carries for 47. Some of those were designed runs. Some of those were just scrambles. He was moving around a lot. So I wouldn't take those 47 yards as like, well, that was a lot. Because it was mostly those scrambles where you see an extra 5, 10 yards and you get them. They weren't all like just one big, big run essentially. But then when you look at the receiving stats, you see A.J. Brown went off once again. I think this was something like his fifth game in a row of going over 120 yards or something like that. But the turnovers just killed him every time. Now, I want to pull up the team stats for this one because this is the game where you're going to be like, wow, those team stats just favor the Eagles. We look at third down efficiency, 7 for 14, 50% for the Eagles, 2 for 11 for the Jets. We look at total yards, 348 yards for the Eagles, 244 for the Jets. See what I mean? Then we got things like passing stats. That was 268 to 155. And then we got things such as penalties. Five penalties on the Eagles and nine penalties on the Jets. So you're looking at all of this and you're like, how did the Jets win? Well, the Eagles beat themselves. They turned it over at the worst time. But I will give the Jets credit. They did create those turnovers and didn't let them, didn't turn them into points, but didn't didn't let them really get back in it and used a lot of the clock. They had 29 minutes versus 30 minutes in terms of possession. So you look at that how you will. So if we take an overall takeaway, we see that Zach Wilson had a better passer rating than Jalen Hurts. Didn't think I was going to find a day where I'd say that. And then just once again, it was the perfect storm for a loss, an undefeated team going into a game against a team that has nothing to lose. And it, and it played that way. And so Props to the Jets. I think Sala was a little bit over his skis when he said something about he's been they've been embarrassing great QBs. Eh, embarrassing? Not really. An embarrassing game would be to like blow someone out. But yes, your defense is embarrassed Jalen Hurts, but your offense did not embarrass the Eagles because the Eagles defense was great that whole game. And the only reason the Jets just were in field goal range the whole game, they were just kicking a bunch of field goals. And so it's because of their turnovers that got them into that position. So everybody pumped the brakes on the Jets' offense is good because that was a defensive win. And then 
when we look at the Eagles as well, I don't want to put it all on Jalen Hurts. I mean, you have to look at when if you watch the games, you will have seen a lot of opportunities where Devontae Smith just couldn't couldn't get, catch the ball, couldn't get open enough. Dallas Goddard as well. DeAndre Swift caught a lot out of backfield, but only got 40 yards on eight catches. Like that's not that's not a winning formula. Those are dink and dunks. You want to be looking downfield more when you can, especially when you're giving 11 targets to someone like Devontae Smith and only five of them are com- coming into his hands, you know? So that was a weird saying, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and another big takeaway is their O-line, the Eagles O-line, which is arguably number one through number five on any sort of rating for offensive line, actually looked kind of beatable today. And yes, the Jets have one of those top five defensive lines that really wreaked havoc, but the offensive line for the Eagles is getting older. So we're, we're basing this greatness off of you know their experience, but when they're facing a young defensive line, like the Jets, I think we saw a little overpowering going, almost like a changing of the guard. I know it's only one game, one game, so I'm not, you know, ready to say the Jets dismantled what the Eagles had. I just think it was one of those perfect storms where the defense was a little more awake than the offense on that front. Now, when we look at the Jets side, I want to give some props to Zach Wilson as he made some plays and he played super hard. I mean, he was diving for first downs. That's what you want to see out of somebody that's trying to earn their spot, not only on the team, but in the media because everyone just trashes on this kid. And I agree that he's not amazing, but he did have a better passer rating than Jalen Hurts. But QBR, this is why these stats are so funny. They can just counteract what you're just saying. Jalen Hurts had the better QBR. So whichever stat you like more, you pick that and that'll define your narrative. But I go back to the stats that I was already referencing where the Jets went two for 11 on third down. That's just wild that you win a game going two for 11 on third down. It just means that you aren't getting a ton of third downs, but... You don't, you don't need him, I guess, when you have a Greg the Leg kicking kicking like he did. I mean, nine points in the second quarter, just three field goals back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. I bet his fantasy owners were very excited uh, for that. But overall, this is kind of like the 49ers, where if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm upset. Yes, losing to a team like the Jets, a team that's never beat you in the history of their franchises, that sucks. Get that first loss out of the way. But I'm not taking this as the Eagles can't win games. I think they just need to rely on their hybrid approach. And if a team wants to beat the Eagles, you got to take away that hybrid approach, just like what the Jets did here. Now, the power rankings are going to look a lot different this week on every place. And I don't even know how I'm going to power rank teams now that everybody has a loss. The Bills could be losing right now to the to the Giants, you know, et cetera. So it's going to be interesting to see how people react to this. And some, I believe, will overreact to all this. So all I ask of you as sports fans, keep your heads on. Don't don't go crazy over these losses. Every team needs to lose, except for if you're a Seahawks fan. That's a little more understandable. We've lost more than one game now, and that was in an embarrassing fashion. But you get what I mean. Now, these were the three games I wanted to cover today. But I also wanted to throw out there that I had this thought today that the Jaguars kind of were the most underrated team today. They won 37-20 to 20 against the Indianapolis Colts. They've already played them twice, beat them both times. Yes, it was out without Anthony Richardson, but their defense held up strong and their offense kind of looked alive. So now we look at Jacksonville as somebody that's 4-2, and two, and the next three games that they have are against, let me make sure I say this right, I'm pretty sure it's the Steelers, the 49ers, and one other team. But when you think of those... Man, I got to remember that third team because 
it's important to know. But essentially what I'm saying is their next three games are winnable, especially if the 49ers kind of have some cracks in their system. And that'll be the third game on that slate. So I want just to put this on everybody's alert that if the Jaguars win the next two games, they could come in and maybe upset the 49ers. I know it's a little presumptuous to go three weeks in the future, but I just want to prepare the audience for the Jaguars bandwagon that's coming for Taylor, not Taylor, uh, Trevor Lawrence, I almost said Taylor Swift. We hear that name a lot nowadays in the football world. But you know what I mean in terms of Trevor Lawrence kind of picking up teams with the Jaguars. They've beaten some good teams like the Bills and like the Colts who have kind of been a fun team this year so far. But they've lost some bad games against the Texans and the Chiefs, so I'm not fully convinced on them. But I'm excited to see where they go. So take that as you will as kind of a team to look out for over these next two days. Uh, in terms of the media um, call outs and shout outs about them. And then another team, which I almost want to put first on the power rankings now, is Miami, dismantling the winless Carolina Panthers. But they dismantled them the way they know best. And now that we've seen their only loss to Buffalo is not looking as crazy after Buffalo might be going 0 and 2 in the next, these next two weeks, falling right now to the New York Giants and also uh, falling to Jacksonville. So. A lot of shakeups coming, but what I can tell you is I'm not going to listen to my brother this week. And if he's still listening, Logan, I'm talking to you. The Minnesota Vikings beat the Chicago Bears <laughs> to get their second win of the season. That is the battle of the mid. And no, they will not be gracing the top 10 of the power rankings. So any Vikings fans out there, I'm sorry. Your team is just not good. You beat the Bears. And Bears fans, I'm sorry, it was fun. I bet it was fun to have one week with a victory, you felt the momentum going in the right way, and then you lay a goose egg against maybe a bottom third defensive team uh, the next week. So take both of those with a grain of salt or how you will. And again, I hope everyone has a great week. Wanted to get this out on Sunday night so that you kick your week off on the right foot with a little bit of uh, NFL updates, even though they were more sad updates as we saw some good teams lose this week. And I'm specifically talking about the Seahawks. So keep your heads up, boys, there. But have a great rest of your week. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Leave a rating if you haven't already. It really helps the podcast as a whole. And follow me on threads. I use, I'm use i threading all the time, connecting with everybody out there. It's super fun, the audience and the community that we're building, not just for my podcast that I have here, but everyone's podcast, everyone's contents, everyone's articles are all great. So shout out all you and shout out the community. And uh, yeah. Have a great rest of your week, like I've said three times now. Cheers, everyone.